The most important act of worship happened a few moments ago when Hilly was recognized as a member of the family of God. In just a few short years, time's going to fly. She'll be standing up here professing her faith, taking ownership of her faith, saying, I believe you all have, have helped me arrive to this point, but I believe and I'm ready to take ownership of, of my own faith. Until then, it is our task, and I mentioned this at 845, the 845 congregation, we all agreed to surround Hilly with a community of love and faith. We all agreed that we're not going to let Hilly go. We're going to support Jack and Kate, just like we do every child and person who comes here to be baptized. What a beautiful moment. What a beautiful moment the baptism of Hilly has been today. So Johnny was in a worship service similar to this one. And after church, when they went home, they were getting ready for lunch. Johnny's mother looked out the window and saw Johnny kind of responding to the word. All that he had experienced happened in worship. Johnny, you see, was outside and Johnny was playing church. And he was preaching to his cat. Oh, he was, he was coming down hard, y'all. He was pounding. He was preaching away to that cat. The mom was so happy, you know, parental pride. She's got a preacher in the family. So mom steps away, and in just a few short seconds, she hears the most god-awful sound, the hissing and the clawing and the and all those noises. And she goes over back to the window, and she looks out, and Johnny is dunking the cat, baptizing the cat <laughs> in a tub of water. She said, Johnny, stop. That cat's, that cat's afraid of water. Johnny looked up and said, well, he should have thought about that before he joined my church. <laughs> All right, so you have made an intentional choice, a deliberate decision to be here today. You could have been anywhere else. You could have tuned in to any other station, any other live stream that's happening right now, but you've chosen to be in the house of the Lord at 2416 West Cloverdale Park. You have decided that for a couple of hours on a hot August morning that you're going to carve out time to be with God and to be with others who are trying our best to get through this thing called life together. And so I want to say thank you for, for placing worship as a priority in your life. Even the Huntington football team... You might think this is like a mandatory visit or something, but, but you did choose to call Huntingdon College your home. And because you, you, you have Huntingdon, you have First Methodist. See, the two have been inseparable since the 1850s. To go to Huntingdon and to experience Huntingdon is to experience First United Methodist Church. And so we, we're here for you. It is our honor to be here for you. It is our honor for you to be here with us. Thank you. This is our final sermon in a four-part sermon called Back to the Old School. We've been looking at four foundational blocks from the Old Testament and how they have significance on our life because, honestly, we cannot understand Jesus if we don't understand Jesus' people and Jesus' scriptures and Jesus' traditions and the stories that Jesus inherited. So we stand on, on the shoulders of so many, and we stand with our Jewish brothers and sisters, and certainly 
with their scriptures. And today's reading, God's people are on the cusp of something amazing. They're about to step into a brand new chapter of their story. It's a land with promise. It's a land that, that flows freely with milk and honey, but, but the rains that, that Moses has had, he's going to have to hand them over to another person called Joshua who will rear up this whole next new generation of, of game-changing, world-changing human beings. So today's text is part of Moses' parting words to a people who have experienced a lot of life together. The ten plagues, right? The death of the firstborn, the Exodus story, let my people go, Pharaoh's army being swallowed up by, by the sea, manna from heaven, water from a rock, wandering around in the desert for 40 years. They've, they've seen it all. But the next story, is, it's, it's right here. And Moses has this opportunity to share with them some final words. Honestly, the book of Deuteronomy is, is an entire sermon. Now, y'all think I preach a long time. This is 30-something chapters of a sermon. I mean, come on. But from Deuteronomy, we hear Moses' parting words to God's people as they prepare to step into a next, the next chapter of their story and to do something pretty amazing. Listen for the word of the Lord. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways and observing His commandments and decrees and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear but are led astray to bow down to other gods and to serve them, I declare to you today that you will perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Maybe you've seen these works of art. I haven't run across one in, in some time, but it's, it's those works of art. It looks like a, a bunch of pixels, and if you stand uh, really close to it, about 12 inches from it, um, what you realize is that each one of those pixels, you know, about half inch by half inch square, is its, its own photograph. It's, a, it's its own image. And all of these pixels are put together on, on a poster. The one with which I am most familiar are images, little half inch by half inch images, about 500 of them on a poster. They're images of the Civil War. And so if you look closely, some of them are are war shots and battle scenes and family photos and generals and dignitaries and all of that. And if you look up really close, you can, you can see the story of the Civil War in the particulars. But you know where I'm going with this? If you start stepping back a little bit, all those images, their colors, the light colors, the dark colors, they begin to form something much bigger. And in this case, all of those little images of the Civil War, if you step back, they form the face at the right distance 
of Abraham Lincoln. And so it's easy to see the particulars, but if you step back, sometimes you do have to step back in order to see at all. So I've thought a lot about that piece of art. I've thought about it while I've been reading this text. I've, I've been thinking about it this whole series, actually. We've, we've only focused on four very distinct, very peculiar passages, but they give us a grander narrative of what God is trying to do and how God is trying to relate to people. That's part of the larger image. This passage, choose life, choose wisely, don't choose death, choose life, it's so straightforward that it's easy to, to zero in on that, that particular lesson and say, all right, I got it. This is all about me. Uh, you know, I'm choosing life. Got it, preacher. Let's go eat lunch. You know, case closed. Well, that may work for your life, and I hope you'll apply it that way. But when Moses, for, for example, when he mentions the terms life and, and prosperity, it's easy for us. Our ears start tingling. We start zeroing in on, a, on that particular lesson, and we think, all right, if I'm good enough, if I say yes to God, then, then I'm going to be prosperous. Nice house, nice cars, children with the highest ACT scores. All, you know, all of that's going to happen if I, just, if I just do what I'm supposed to do. And that's, that's the modern inclination, but, but this isn't a prosperity gospel, actually, There is no such thing as a prosperity gospel. It's a tremendous promise that Moses makes. Make no mistake. If you stay in it, if you step up into a story that's bigger than yourself, there will be something prosperous. Prosperity is defined differently. I'll say more about that in a minute. So sometimes, whether we're economically challenged or or satisfied, we all like to hear that a promise leads to prosperity, but there's no material promise hooked to our faithfulness with God. We cannot do enough to earn God's favor. If you haven't heard it said before, there's nothing you can do that's going to make God love you any more than God already does. There's nothing you can do that's going to make God love you any less. There's a gospel message for today, but this isn't, this text, it's not about individual gain. It's not about individual prosperity. Actually, it's about something much bigger. And if we'll step back to gain a little perspective, we might even be able to see what's happening. The wider angle lens reveals something that I think is profound, that my decisions affect you, that your decisions affect me, that our decisions as a congregation, as people of faith, it affects our community. That's a powerful load, friends. But it's true, and it's what sets us apart in this world from every other group. So Moses is told, tell the people, remind them of covenant, tell them that God is up to something in this world, and then ask your people to step forward by faith, to stand on the shoulders of all who have come before them, and there will be promises that that await them. And I tell you, in an age of having to know it all or else it doesn't seem real or isn't real, That's a tall order to step into a promise as a group. So how do you think about this text when you think about it in light of how a group of people are set apart to stay in love with God, to stay in love with God's commands, and to give themselves to something that's so much bigger than themselves? You see, our lives as the family of God, there there are some total of our decisions. And our 
Decisions should be prioritized as a response to God's initiative to be in relationship with us. So the wider image involves our past. We step back, we see where we've been, we see the decisions we've made, we've learned from them. They don't hold us back, though. They don't get that kind of power over us. But, but this wider angle, it involves our story, our story together. In, in three weeks from today, we are going to celebrate that this congregation is 190 years old. You all look good for 189, i got to tell you. 190 years of ministry together, deepening our roots in this part of the world so that we can give ourselves to a story bigger than us that will impact people on the other side of the world. So I'm asking you, to, to not miss the first three uh, Sundays in September. We're going to be celebrating 190 years of ministry, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to look forward. We're going to look forward at the next 190 years and ask ourselves, what is God up to? And how can we stand on the shoulders of all of those who have come behind us to give us this amazing facility and the amazing means that we have to touch lives near and far in our zip code and on the other side of the world together as one, one body, one family of faith. I can't wait to see what God is up to. You all, you all dreamed and prayed and you already have started stepping in that direction through the impact campaign. We're going to be giving updates all throughout September about where we are and where we're going. And I can't wait for you to hear some of the stories that will begin emerging. So today is about stepping back, looking, looking at all that God is doing, giving ourselves to something greater than ourselves. Because when we do, here's the thing, we're more likely to trust the wider group when our own abilities let us down. You guys on the football team know that. One of you gets hurt, somebody's got to step up. One of us goes down as, as part of, of this family. We step up. If somebody can't sing, we sing for them. If somebody doesn't know how to pray, we have ways to help people pray. The Lord's Prayer. We have people who will pray with you and for you and over you. It's part of our DNA. One of the questions with which I've been wrestling this week is what do I allow to affect my decision-making processes? And that's a, a choice in and of itself. Even that's a choice. What do I allow to affect my choices? Sometimes it's billboards. Sometimes it's social media ads that I see pop up. Sometimes it's a, a new chicken at Popeye's that's rivaling, you know, Chick-fil-A. I hear it's good. I haven't had it yet. Sometimes our story, our family values... Goals we set, failures, successes from the past, how we prioritize our calendars, how we prioritize our spending, all of those are influences on how we make decisions in the present. But if there's one thing that I've learned in 43 years on this planet is that the majority, if not all, of our decisions are aligned with two basic decisions, and that is this. Will we lean towards the kingdoms of this world and give ourselves to their influence, or will we be instruments of the kingdom of God and be instruments by ushering in joy and hope and peace? And we stand in between the two. 
and they're always in tension with one another. At any given moment, our minds, our hearts, our souls, our relationships, we're trying to decide, oh man, what I want is what this world offers. What I need is what the kingdom of God offers. How will I give myself to something bigger than myself to change the world beginning right here? John's story is... uh, is one who ran across this week. He finally worked up enough courage to ask his sweetheart Jane to marry him. And so John, he gets down on one knee like this and he, he opens the ring, you know, he's pretty nervous. And as he's standing, he's kneeling there and he has the ring open and he's looking passionately into her eyes. He says, Jane, I know that I'm not wealthy like Tom and I'm not handsome like Tom. And I'm not as well-educated as Tom, but I love you so much, Jane. And Jane was obviously moved, and she said, Well, I love you too, John, but tell me a little bit more about Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Nothing productive happens when our mind and our hearts are, are in tension. Being faithful... And also doubtful, it'll cause us to go mad, but at any given moment, we're one and the same. It's true of courting. It's true about life with God. It's true about being a part of this community of faith, that there really is unity in our diversity. If we're willing, coach, to tether ourselves to the person next to us and say, I won't let you go if you won't let me go, and together we take a step forward and we change the course of human history. So I want to end this this entire series with a word uh, to our upcoming generations and and to your parents and your grandparents. So youth, college students, interns, children. When a person joins the church, you heard it in our our baptismal language, we ask ourselves, um, will you be faithful? And you say, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ And as a community of faith, we will surround this person with steadfast love that they may grow in the knowledge of love of God. So we ask, and you say, we will so order our lives. So what I want to ask you is, as you think about your choices, how are you ordering your lives as part of a collective covenant with God where we put God and neighbor above everything else that we decide in life? How are you ordering your life so that that is reflected? How are you ordering your life so that what happens between Sundays tells the world that there's something divine within you? How are you ordering your life so that your calendar reflects that or so that your checkbook reflects that or ordering your life so that your, your relationships reflect that so that the community sees it and knows it and feels it and believes it? How are we so ordering our lives that this world knows? As Lucas prayed, that death and suffering, they do not get the final word in this world. What I need you to be is this. I need you to be loyal, and I will be loyal with you. I need us to remember our membership vows, to be loyal with our prayers and our presence and our gifts and our service and our witness. What I know is this. A Columbia researcher said that um, the average person, you and me, the average person makes about 70 decisions per day. 70. 
That's 25,500 decisions per year. And over the lifespan of about 70 years, that's 1.78 million decisions. We can't decide where to go to supper on Tuesday nights, right? At the start of this school year, the start of this season, at the start of, of our journey together, how will we spend our 1.78 million decisions by so ordering our lives that we have the faith community in mind, authentic community, where needs are shared, where we aspire together, where we dream together, where we cry together, where we suffer together? How will we so order our lives in 1.78 million decisions over the course of a life that we have our neighbor in mind, that we have those pushed to the margins in mind, that we have the least and the last and the lost and the lonely in mind, that we have our zip codes around this tremendous city in mind when we so order our lives by choosing wisely. Because I'm here to tell you, that I believe that that is the definition of prosperity, to be a part of something bigger than you could be on your own. I did learn that from the staff this week, Coach. They gave up a Friday. They, they could have been responding to messages and doing other things here on, on site. Some of them are off on Fridays. But several, several members of our staff decided that what they wanted to do is to be a part of a bigger story. So we moved in 175 freshmen at the dorms at Huntington. And I'm still feeling it. <laughs> and then I learned it from our choir, who gave up a couple of hours or more this past Friday night for their annual choir banquet. They broke bread together. We laughed together. We cried together. It was the first night of Friday night football fever, and our choir was at a banquet. And they launched themselves into a, a weekend retreat where yesterday they spent all day praying and celebrating and singing and preparing for worship for the rest of this year. Yesterday was the first day of college football. <laughs> It's not important to everybody. It's kind of important to me. What they did is they stepped back to see the bigger picture to say, worship, community, connection, church, society, it's a bigger story and we get to be a part of it. Thank you, choir. Thank you for leading us in that way. So we're standing on the cusp of something great that God is doing ahead of us, every single one of us here at this church. And the opportunities to witness to God's work in the world right here in Montgomery, Alabama are innumerable. I'm so excited to be here for a time such as this. So what I would challenge us to do is to choose wisely, to choose life, to fight for justice, to share food, to laugh out loud and in public to see Christ in people, maybe to sit with a stranger, to worship openly, to walk around your block, to apologize, to forgive. Those are ways we get to choose life and to do life together.
May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.